well. We, we just thank you for Andy. We thank you for the, uh, the word of God inside of him. We, we get to hear, we get to see the fruit of what you planted inside of him. We bless it. We, we bless our ears that we hear what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name. again. I'm now on the mic. Beatboxing, come on. I know what you're thinking. I mean, this guy looks like Ozzy Osbourne. The reason I'm saying that is because I feel exhausted, and that's what a baby does to you. So I just want to apologise in advance. I've had about nine hours sleep in the last two days. And I've got the shakes from Kathy. <laughs> but we'll just we'll roll with it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ozzy's on form. So Jen, my sister-in-law, is somewhere here um, at the Ooh. back. Now Jen is a natural-born saleswoman. If Jen loves something, if she's passionate about it, then she can sell it. So Jen, she's passionate about Cardiff, and she's constantly trying to convince Sally and I to move there. No. Uh, one of her latest things no. is uh, Cardiff, more days of sunshine than Barcelona. <laughs> not sure about that. <laughs> Today, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about invitation, an invitation to, to the gospel. And uh, I suppose one of the things I'm convinced by is that if you get it, if you really understand what it is, then then it will just be naturally the overflow. Steve said last week that you will just want to share it with people. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And it's like um, with Apple. It's like if you go and talk to people from Apple, like their salespeople, they don't need sales training because it pretty much sells itself. Their fans are so excited about it, they just want to tell everyone about it. And if, and if that's true about something so insignificant and so, it's, it's just useless products which we don't need, then how much more true is it about something like this? So anyway, with that, with that in mind, I'm going to read our passage for today. It's from Mark 2. Um, it'll be on the screen. And then follow with me as well. So a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening on the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why did this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So I just want to kind of talk you through some of the observations of 
uh, in this passage and really help bring it home. Because I want you to picture the scene. I mean, it's quite difficult on this bank holiday Monday, but imagine this place absolutely surging around us with people. They've come to hear Steve speak. They didn't realize I was up this week. <laughs> and then suddenly there's this... And you're like, what's going on? And suddenly this, little, this man's face starts peering in. And then right in front of us, this map starts lowering down like a pulley. It'd be a really weird scene, wouldn't it? I mean, I, to start with, I'd be a bit like, guys, you've not heard of a doorbell, or just saying, excuse me, walk through. But I think that like, the big point of this is it's, I suppose it's a house, so it's much more cramped. But these guys, like, they, they were so persevering. And, and I just think of a lot of us, like when something's a little bit hard, we just kind of give it up. Mm. I think with, if, if we got to the door with our mate, we'd probably be like, okay, actually, let's just call it a day. But they, they didn't take no for an answer. They were like, actually, tell you what, let's climb up to the roof. Let's actually dig through this poor person's roof <laughs> and lower him right in front of Jesus. And Jesus tells us why. He says, when he saw their faith, that was the thing that drove them. So it was their faith that compelled them to a radical invitation. And what were they inviting their paralyzed man, their friend, to? Well, they were inviting him to meet Jesus. And I think, like, it, we talk about faith a lot. It's like, well, what, what is it? And it, it's one of those words that you kind of band around. Oh, he's got so much faith. Have you shared your faith? Are you a man of faith? What does that word mean? And the, the Bible it tells, it has two descriptions I think are really helpful. One is in Hebrews, which says it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And Hebrews 11 is amazing if you read it. Um, no time for it now. But basically the, it talks about all the men and women of the, of the Bible who had lived with eternity in mind. They were so sure of the hope they, were, they, they had that they lived every day in the light of that. We'll come on to that a bit later. But then in James, there's a second description, and it's this. He says, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons do, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And this is the key bit. You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, now let me let, make it a bit more real. So everyone, I don't know where Steve's gone, but everyone knows he's a massive Spurs fan. So, oh, sorry, a West, West Ham. But, um, the, uh, but imagine, imagine if Steve uh, next year was like, like 100%, West Ham are going to win the Premiership. You've got, you've got to follow me. Steve is not a betting man, but imagine he was a betting man. I'd be like, okay, right, well, let's put £100 on it. Now, if he then goes, actually, yeah, maybe not, his actions would actually completely undermine what he really believes. So he might say, oh, yeah, yeah, 100% they're going to win it. But by not betting, you would know he doesn't believe it. So what was it that these guys believed? Well, they believed that Jesus could heal their friend. They, they believed that 100%. And it was only because they had faith that was demonstrated by the action that they followed up. Otherwise, they would have just got to the door and turned around. But they were so convinced that actually they were prepared to climb on a roof, <laughs> scratch through, and lower him. I mean, and also, the fact is, it would be pretty embarrassing, because we'd all be sitting there looking up, and being like, what are you doing, you weirdos? Like, <laughs> and, uh, but they were prepared to put their reputation on the line for that. They didn't have fear, and it drove them to that. 
So I suppose I want to I want to ask a question of, of well, how much did they know? And I think the the reality is at that point, bear in mind this is the start of Mark's gospel. So the chapter before we're told by Mark that Jesus had been healing many, he had been um, he had been casting out demons, he'd been doing loads of miracles, but he hadn't fully revealed who he was yet. He had been preaching, and yet it was still slightly hidden. So what they did know about him was that he was a miracle maker. They knew he he um, he could heal, he could drive out demons, he had authority when he spoke and when he did things. So they knew he could heal them. But what about us? What do we know about Jesus? And I think, I think that's, that's the key thing. It's like, well, what is the gospel? What is it we're inviting people to? Is it just healing? It certainly is healing, but, but what else is it? What, what are we sharing? And I want to I wanna share a little story about a friend of mine to help us as we think about this. Um, so my friend Eddie, he's a, he, without knowing it, has really influenced um, the, this, this talk. And that's probably, that's partly, as well as Manu, being one of the reasons that I'm so tired. Is, um, anyway, we'll come to it. But he's, he's a friend of mine from my old work at Capgemini. And uh, he's, a, he's a funny Irish when he's got a really dry sense of humour. He's uh, quite sharp. He's talented. And he's a great management consultant. But I'm, I'm re- I, I absolutely love Eddie. I'm so grateful to him. Because when I left Capgemini Consulting, in my naivety to create a startup, I, uh, I took a, a big risk, um, and I was doing a bit of freelance, but I hadn't really thought, thought it through. But he had, st- he had stayed at Capgemini, and um, he didn't have to do this, but while he was there, he was working with one of their clients called Intercontinental Hotel Group. And, um, and basically, while he, while he was there, he uh, noticed that they had an opportunity for a project, and he thought of me, and he was like, I think you should pitch for this. And again, he, he didn't have to. I would have never heard of that opportunity if it wasn't for him. And, um, and he, he, shared, he said, I think you should go for it. And I got it. And then like uh, six months later, he said, oh, Capgemini decided it's not a key client because there's not enough business for it. So they're ditching it. So I'm being pulled out. And again, didn't have to, but he introduced me and gave me the chance to uh, go for that work. And I won it. And uh, so I continued his project that he'd been running for 18 months. He did a great handover set me up to succeed. And then from that, I've got another project and more. And so for three years, he's, he, like, because of his amazing kindness, I've basically been bankrolled by IHC. They've basically helped me as I've been working my startups. Um, anyway, two months ago, um, we as a like, group of mates from Capgemini, we found out that he, he had just had an operation to remove a cancerous tumour. Um, and, and we were all shocked and, and sad at the time. And uh, the news... And I suppose the only um, good news at the time was that he'd had an operation and it was upbeat and it looked like he was going to um, be fine. Anyway, on Friday, was, as I was in the middle of writing this talk, um, we got a message to say that his cancer was back. It was aggressive. And that um, the doctor said even with chemo, he had at best six months to live. And when I heard this news, it, it made me feel sick. It's... It's like one of those things, he's, he's early 30s, and yet he faces, he faces that massive big question of uh, what, what, now what, I've got six months, he has to compute what, what is next. I suppose for me it really um, it brought home so many questions, but one of them was, well, what can I do? Like, what would these friends have done, the ones who brought the paralyzed man in? Should I go to him, visit him in Ireland? And then I found myself wrestling with 
with the question, well, what is the invitation for him? See, I think what it brought home for me is that for him, the, the clock is ticking in a much more tangible way. And it just put into perspective for me very quickly how, how important um, that invitation is. What is, if we love, if I love him as a friend, what is the greatest thing I can do for him? And I realise I'm raising quite a lot of questions, uh, and I will come to some of my thoughts on them in a bit, but I think we have to step back in order to, to do that. So let's, jumping back into our, uh, our passage, let's go back to what Jesus was saying. So this paralysed man's just landed on his lap, basically, and Jesus says, Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what this, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Oh, back. Um. <laughs> so it's a really strange way to answer, his, his, um, to answer this man, isn't it? It's, he's lowered in, he's quite clearly paralysed, and then Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. But I think also the puzzling thing that comes out is the way that the teachers of the law respond. So they're not offended by what he says. The only reason they're offended is because they don't think he's God. They're saying, well, you, you can't do that. And I think nowadays, if the same thing happened, our reaction would be really different. You see, we love our rights here. We'd be like, well, I, I think if it were me, I'd be like, well, hey, mate, you've got your notes mixed up. Like, that must be someone else. What, what are you all about? And then I think I'd get angry and I'd say, Who, what, what right have you to say that to me? Who are you? And I think our, our response comes out of, I suppose, a different perspective from the, the people there. So, so at the time, the, the people would be very aware of, of what it meant. Some of your sins are forgiven, they, they'd get it. And Jesus wasn't being insensitive, you see. He, he got it, he, he understood the, the pain that man was going through. He understood how much hurt and, and hardship there must have been to be in that situation. And he does it actually, if we remember, go on to healing. But what he's saying is that actually there's, there's a greater problem. There's an even, even bigger problem you have to face up to. And, and the people in the day, even the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they would have known what it meant. And I think the reason we struggle to get it sometimes is because we have too elevated a view of ourselves, if we're really honest, that we actually, we live in a, a really um, civilized culture and because it's civilized, we think that we're actually really good people. And I think the other thing is that actually we look at God and we don't see how incredible he is. So we have quite a low view of him. And I, and I know this isn't a, a popular thing to talk about, but bear with. Because I, it, when, when we really get it, then we really understand how amazing the invitation is. But if we don't get the bad news, we can't get the good news. So just bear with me. I, I want to help us get a bigger picture of God because there is nothing small about our God. There is nothing small. That's great. And um, so, let, so, so back in the day, let, let's have a, a think about how people met God in the Old Testament. You see, one of the things that's talked about about God in the Old Testament is His holiness. And as I was walking, I was praying about this as I was walking across Clapham Common on Saturday, um, yesterday morning, it was... As I got out, I was almost blinded by the sun. It was so bright. It was an amazing kind of sunrise. And it was really early because, again, I couldn't sleep. And I was walking across, and I was just blown away by that. 
And I think it just reminded me, it was like, what? When you see something that's so incredibly bright, like the sun, you can't look at it, you just can't bear it. Um, and there's a scene in the Old Testament with Isaiah where uh, he's, he's in the throne room and he says, and he, doesn't, he doesn't ask for this, but he said, suddenly I had this vision and I was in the throne room. And he's looking at the, the, kind of the train of God's robe in the throne room. And there's these, there's these massive creatures in there called seraphim. And they'd probably be a bit like the dragons in Game of Thrones or something in, um, or something in Harry Potter. They, they're these incredible creatures. And yet these creatures are in the throne room of God. They've got six wings. And with two of them, they cover their faces because they cannot even look at God. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's how he's described. Elsewhere he's talked about as dwelling in unapproachable light. He's pure and radiant. He's brighter than the sun. And he's so pure and radiant that they have to cover their eyes. And Isaiah's reaction, he doesn't say wow, he says whoa. And what that means is, it means literally like, I'm undone. He says I'm ruined. Woe is me, I'm ruined. And I think that, that vision, it just helps us capture, it's like he's, he's encountered God who is so pure and so perfect and so unbelievable. Can you imagine something brighter than the sun? Like I, he, he was on the floor and he wasn't even looking at God in the face, he was looking at his feet. And as he encounters that, he just becomes so aware of, of his heart and his, in himself. And it's like that song we were singing. Um, what was it saying? It was saying... Uh, you see the depths of my heart, or to you my heart is open. And it's true, like when, when we stand before God, we're completely open. He, he knows our hearts, He looks at our hearts. And, and if we're really honest, we all know um, that we're sinful people and we need forgiveness. And I know we don't like that phrase, it's a horrible phrase. It's one of those things that everyone suddenly has a knee-jerk back reaction. But just, just think about it with me. Um, even just dwell on on kind of last 24 hours. See, when I, I dwell on it, I, I was, I'm just so aware of actually how selfish I am. And the great thing about being married is it makes you even more aware about it. <laughs> you can always rely on your wife to tell you the truth. But, but you know what? Sometimes we need it. And, but even without Sally, so I just think about my last 24 hours and in my tiredness, how lazy I sometimes are, and she, <laughs> sitting down, she's like, what are you doing? You know, like, help me. <laughs> and then that, the kind of anger that comes out, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just chilling out, I just want to relax. And coming back from work uh, the other day, I, I, like, I was like, oh, there's dinner not on the table. <laughs> and I it, and you're like, oh, it's out of my mouth. Brilliant. And, uh, like, I just could go on, but um, a friend of mine, uh, oh, such a writer, he, he talks about how he prays the Holy Spirit, just revealed to me just some of the sins in the last 24 hours. And he was like, I got angry in the car when I saw that person drive about. Then my seat at the coffee shop was not there. And all these things I relate to, like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and I think when we're really honest, like, we think the world revolves around ourselves. And, that, and that's the truth. That is, that is how sin is. It puts me at the centre. I am at the centre. And you know what? I think we're... Part of the reason we don't like sin is because it offends our hearts. But I just want to say, and, and it doesn't the world's not about us, it's about something bigger. But actually that, that is amazing, that truth. It actually is releasing. So one of the things it talks about um, in the Bible is something called idolatry. Basically idolatry is worshipping anything other than God. It could be yourself, it could be money, 
And one of the things about idols is that they promise you everything, but they, instead of giving you what they promise, they take everything from you. And actually they destroy you. And, and one, of, one of the things about God, I think, to think about sin, there's so much to say about it, but I just want to give you a few different flavors of it. Um, is that when God's talked about in the Old Testament, and he's talked about as a lover, he's a lover of people. Um, and he describes him as the husband of um, the wife, which is his people. I know it's a funny image, it's sometimes hard to get our heads around. He's also the creator, he's also the judge, he's the father, um, he's the warrior and the king. But, let, but let's start with the first one, the lover. Actually, um, in Hosea, it's a book of, that, that God almost designed to help us understand how it feels. So I think, sometimes I think we think that God's just this mean God and he doesn't care about us and he just sets us rules which are just meant to be boring. But actually, in the book of Hosea, he says to Hosea, go, I want you to go marry this prostitute. And it's going to be a really vivid picture, but bear with her and be faithful to her. And it's, a, it's like a horrible, painful image. But what he's saying is that is what it's like when I pour myself out to my people again and again and again. Because he's a God who's faithful to us, even when we reject him. And, and that's what it's like. He created us, and he loves us, and he chose to, to um, give us relationship with him, but we just push him away. And the Old Testament is this, uh, this frustrated book where this God has created his people, and they turn their backs on him. And his heart breaks. He's, uh, there's this one bit in Hosea where he's saying, what can I do with you, my people? I've created you. I've provided for you, I've given you all these things, and yet again and again you reject me, and you worship other things. Mm. And, and that's, I suppose, a, a summary of what, what it's like for us in our hearts. It, it, Jeremiah talks about our hearts are, the, are deceitful above all things. We, we go after other things, we're kind of adult, adulterous, really. And, um, and, and when you think about it that way, it makes so much more sense, you're like, can understand why he'd be angry. I understand jealousy. Because for me, I just think if Sally, if Sally was unfaithful to me, it would, it would completely destroy my heart. Hmm. And if I wasn't jealous for her, then I, I, effectively I wouldn't care. And, and if I don't care, then what's it really about? I mean, jealousy is actually a good thing when it's in the right context. I love her jealously, which means that I'll pursue her. And it means that forsaking all others, I, I want to go after her. And that's what God's like for us. That's how he feels about us. Secondly, he creates us. He creates us in our own image, in his own image, rather. He created us in his own image. And we're the only part of creation that has that amazing privilege. The sun isn't in his image. The, the trees, the birds, the animals, all those things are not in his image, but we are. And I suppose the other difference is he gave us a choice. And the thing about the Garden of Eden is that when they chose the fruit, that the most interesting thing is that they turn around what he said. He said, you can have everything. You can eat all these amazing things, but for that one thing. And actually, they turn it around. The devil's like, oh, did he say you couldn't eat from any tree? And that, that again, is that, that piece where we, we question whether he's good. We think, actually, we know better. And so the essence of, of sin is to say, actually, God, I know better than you. I'm going to run my life. I'm going to be king. And that has so many consequences. And I, I suppose for me, the Game of Thrones is a really good demonstration of what happens when that happens. Because really, there can only be one king. If you get a whole load of people thinking that they rule and they deserve to be in that place, all that happens is just a clash, a 
again and again and again. That's why we have wars. That's why we have um, issues in capitalism, because everyone's thinking about themselves. That, that's our heart problem. And he's a king, and effectively, if we set ourselves up against him, we become his enemy. And, and we're making that choice. We're making that choice every time we say, actually, I, I don't want anything to do with you. And then finally, his judge. And I suppose, for me, a, a good, helpful illustration of this is he, his rules are good. And recently, we went to Australia, Sally and I. We were in Coogee Beach. And I was really struck when I was there. That the, I was kind of really annoyed because we wanted to be like cool surfers and hang out on the beach. <laughs> and then the guys, they decided to shut the beach, the, the lifeguard. They were like, today we're shutting the beach. The, uh, the surf's uh, massive. We've, uh, it, it's really destructive surf. <laughs> and uh, we've had a few problems with um, fractures and something else they said. But it is a really strong rip, mate. So, uh, <laughs> but the, so, <laughs> you can ask Lee whether that was any good later. Um, I think we could tell. <laughs> Mine was more silly, he's, he's camera. <laughs> but, but effectively, they were shutting it for a good reason. That was there were really strong rip currents, which is really dangerous. And the other thing is that it was, a, it was a surf that was breaking onto the beach in such a way that it was really dangerous, like it would flip you over. Uh, and it's, to do, it's mainly to do with where it breaks and the kind of sand. Uh, you can get, again, a detailed breakdown of what, what happens. But, they weren't doing it because they were, they were just boring. They were doing it because they wanted to protect people. And actually, on that very day, I saw a man um, laid out on a stretcher. And I, and I don't know what happened to him, but all I do know is he decided to ignore them. And, uh, and yet they still went in to save them, which I found amazing. Like they, they closed the beach and they still, um, even though he ignored them, went ahead and tried to rescue him. But I think that's a picture of what God does. He puts rules in, not because he's, he's boring, but actually because he puts parameters in which are good for us. And it's a bit like a fish saying, oh, I've got a great idea. Come on, uh, come on, Scaly over there. I don't mind this fish in Australia. <laughs> I've got a great idea. Let's get out of the sea or the lake and just, like, flop about on the land. I mean, can you imagine what would happen? I mean, that fish would last about two seconds. It's just stupid. And... And it's kind of an illustration of what we do. We were created to be in relationship with him. We were created to worship God. And when we choose to reject him and worship something else, it lets us down. So as a father, he, he cries out. He's like, why are you doing that? Why are you going away? It's only going to end in tears. Um, and in the Old Testament, there's this, this one verse, I think, that really helps us see this. He says, rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And again, on this walk that I had really early in the morning on Saturday, I walked past this sign as I was praying. It was a big U-turn sign. And, I, and it was a big U-turn with a cross through it. And I was like, no. <laughs> and it was that element where I was like, actually, the whole point of repent, God wants us to U-turn. It's like, turn, turn away from it and turn back to me. And that is how you live. That is, that is hope. And so, so I suppose what I'm trying to say in a really inarticulate way is that we're not just little naughty boys and girls. It's not, it's not that. These are just the symptoms. There's so much more to that. It really comes back to your heart, that choosing to reject God. And so that, that was the bad news, as you can see. But, but the reality is that on X Factor, I don't know if you remember at the end of X Factor, you sometimes get that freak show. 
And sometimes you're like, oh man, I wish that I feel so bad for that poor person. Why did their parents or their friends or loved ones not say, yeah, you, you might have the name Brittany, but you really you can't sing Lego or <laughs> or whatever it is. Like, we love you, but you're not a great singer, so don't go up on X Factor. It's that it's that bit where you're like, sometimes the truth is a good thing. So going back to our, our passage, Jesus. Jesus says it not in spite of his love, but because he loves them. And I suppose the clue to the, the amazing news, the solution, the cure is, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. So he doesn't say, uh, oh, look at that, that's horrible. Look at, look at your heart, it's disgusting, and then walk away. He actually, he looks at him and he says, you're forgiven. Now Jesus... The reason he can do that is because he is God. And so you've had it in Mark, this whole element where it's building up to who he is. And it's at this point he reveals who he is because he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And that's why the teachers all get so angry because they're like, who are you? You're not God. And they're, and they're like, blasphemer, what are you doing? And actually, there's a, there's a bit in an American football film, Friday Night Lights, where Jesus is like, um, sorry, Jesus, he's not in film. <laughs> where, <laughs> where, um, there's this, this guy who puts in these massive hits in American football, and every time he hits them, he's pinned down on the floor, he's like, Woo! All day, baby! <laughs> and I kind of love this scene, because it's almost like that, because Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that's right, I am God. And by the way, just so you get it, watch this, I'm about to heal him, and when I heal him, you'll realise. That's what he does, he says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And right in front of everyone, he does that. And it's that point you're like, woo! It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing, because kind of what he's saying is, what's, what's easier to say? Well, obviously it's easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, because how do you prove that? But when he says, actually, I want you to know that I have authority to forgive sins, and so I can prove it, watch this, I'm going to actually heal this man, and he does it right in front of him. But I think there's another part to it. There's a, a sort of an undercurrent to what he's saying because actually he knows what the cost will be he knows when he says what is easier to say see when he says son your sins are forgiven he knows what that will cost him because he's already looking ahead he's already looking to a few months down the line where he will have to ultimately give his life up for him and he knows that actually by saying that he's going to take that man's sin on him that man's rebellion and, uh, and selfishness so I just want you to imagine that I lend Viv 10 grand. Come on. <laughs> I bet a few years later, Viv comes back, she's like, Andy, I'm, I'm bankrupt. I, I, like, I've spent it all, my business hasn't gone well. She's become an entrepreneur at that time. And uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't repay you. Now, now, I can say to Viv, I can say to her, I forgive you. But when I say that, that doesn't mean the 10 grand just vanish, like, vanishes. Actually, like by saying that, by saying I forgive you, I have to absorb that and, uh, and I face the consequences for it. And the same is true with Jesus. You see, um, the thing we need to understand is the bad news makes the good news even better. And I suppose, for those of you who are kind of listening in who, who don't know Jesus, when, when we kind of band around, oh, Jesus died for the sins, like, it's, it's hard to know what that means. Sometimes it's a bit like, I suppose, on that beach, if, if I'd got out of my depth and ignored the lifesavers and, and they'd come after me and if I, if I didn't realise I was in trouble, if I thought I was a really good swimmer, I was absolutely fine, then, then why would I need a rescue? And I suppose the same is true with us, which is why 
We need to understand the first bit to get the good news. So, so I suppose for Viv, it's like, well, if she didn't know she was in debt, then why would she need anyone to come and rescue her from the debt? And with Jesus, what, what he does is he says, I forgive you. And on the cross, he pays for the justice that, that we deserve. Um, and it's at that point, I suppose, where God's character meets itself. So he's perfectly just and perfectly right to be angry, but at the same time, he is perfectly loving and perfectly merciful. And at a place, Jesus, he carries all of the sin and the punishment we deserve because he loves us. And so it's that incredible image of the father sending his son to die, but actually the son also made that choice. He didn't have to. Jesus said, no, I'm willing to lay my life down for not just my friends, but actually my enemies because they chose to reject me. So go back to the Old Testament. After that bit I read, there's an incredible promise. It says, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into the land. I will sprinkle you clean water on you and make you clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart the stone and give you a heart of flesh. And and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land and I, I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. It's that incredible promise of restoration that he will do it, but not just that, that he will restore relationship with his people so that once again they can worship him and, and walk with him. And Jesus fulfills that promise on the cross. He says it's finished, it's done. And, um, and, and that's, that's the amazing news. It's, it, it, it's there that actually he, he mends our hearts because he, he, he says... You, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to do it because I love you, and I'm going to pay the price and the cost. Mm. And the person I think gets this most is an incredible, um, it's an incredible story in the New Testament of this woman who's um, calls her. I think she's probably a prostitute, but it's not. It's not clear. But she comes to Jesus in the middle of the banquet, and the Pharisees are saying, "Oh, why are you hanging out with this sinner?" And she um, weeps on his feet. It's this incredibly. Um, Beautiful and yet at the same time really vulnerable image. She's weeping on his feet. She gets a bottle of perfume and she pours it on them. And bear in mind, his feet would have been covered in like poo. And like, we're not talking about like really nice, t- tidy streets. It's disgusting. And she wiped his, her, her, his feet with her hair and had this expensive perfume elaborately pouring on him. And he explains it. He's like, those who have been forgiven much will love much. Mm. And actually, when you get, when she got it, she was like, I don't deserve it, but it's so amazing what he's done. Um, that she goes free, and because of that, she loved him, she absolutely adored him. And when we get it, we'll have the same reaction. So, uh, I suppose coming back to, to what, I, what I started with, I was really raising some, some questions like, so what? what? What does this all mean? Um, I suppose for me, I, I'm, I've been really mulling, my, well, what am I going to do with Eddie? Am I going to go and visit him in Ireland? And I think the answer is yes. And, and what am I going to say to him? The answer is I don't know yet. But um, my prayer is that he'll have an encounter with Jesus, like this man, the paralyzed man. And my prayer is he'll be healed, but I suppose my prayer is more than that. Because actually, if he is healed, it doesn't really solve his biggest problem. See, there were many people in the Bible who were healed by Jesus, but then they still turned their back and rejected him. 
And, and one day, they'll, they'll meet God and, and they'll have to face, face the consequences of rejecting him. And, it, and, it, and that is the heartbreaking part about the gospel, but it's the, whole, it's the whole key to it, because Jesus makes us his hands and feet. He says, you're going to take the good news. You're to share it. And we have loads of amazing signposts to who he is, just like we did back in the, when he was here. The signposts are the signs and wonders. They are, um, when you see someone healed, it points to who he is. When uh, a demon is driven out, it points to who he is. And it's a kind of tough, it's a, where heaven meets earth, it's that um, point of the kingdom. But he, there's also demonstrations through our love. There's so many ways that people see him, but ultimately, ultimately, it's also that we need to share the news. They need to understand. And as long as we just don't tell them the truth, then actually, I want to suggest, do we really love them? And, and I know it's a really hard question, but in my heart, I've been thinking about Eddie. Well, why is it that I wouldn't want to tell him about such an amazing cure, such an amazing saviour? And ultimately, I suppose the answer is, because I'm scared. Because I'm scared that actually uh, I might cause offence. I'm scared that he might reject what I've got to say. I'm scared that he... Uh, yeah, that he, 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 will, um, he just won't like it. But, but Jesus, I suppose Jesus like, said to us, actually, don't fear. The more, I'll go with you. That, that promise is in the context of going. We've got to go out. And these friends, they would have got it. The friends of the paralyzed man. You see, they, they were incredibly persevering. They had real faith. But they had faith in Jesus as far as he was a healer. And our faith is that actually Jesus is our saviour. He's the ultimate healer. And he heals our hearts. And our faith is that he is the only good news. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. And if we really believe that, then the most loving thing we can do is to live like him, to follow him, to demonstrate him in all, all that we do. Um, but, um, but also to tell people the truth. And, uh, and so in answer to my, my questions I raise up, I feel compelled to tell Eddie because actually he has he has less than six months to go, and if I don't tell him that, how, uh, then yeah, then how can I say I love him? He was prepared to to put his reputation online for my job, and actually I have something some news so much better than that. Mm. And I, I, I suppose I want to ask you guys. I want to say who who's, who are the one or two people that you can extend the invite? To? <coughs> See, the great thing is we can invite people to Alpha and have the the opportunity to investigate Jesus and to find out whether he, he, he stands up to the credentials that we've talked about briefly. See, in a, in a few minutes, I can't do justice to everything about Jesus. Um, so if, if you've never heard about Jesus before, can I encourage you to investigate his claims, investigate whether what he says is true. If he is the most loving person who ever lived, and if he said this was important, if he said that actually you need to deal with this, then I suggest you should have a look at it. And for us who, who already know him, if, if we have the most amazing news possible, how can we keep it to ourselves? Mm. So I just really want to encourage you to think about what the one, who's the one person or the two people you can show your faith with. Thanks. Mm.